Hello, hello, and welcome to the elephant in the room. I'm Mars. And I'm Aladia. And this one is a little special episode for me because we're going to talk about my journey and about Eliza's journey as well. I'm really excited to share. And thank you for listening to us. So, Eladia, tell me how was your day today? Today was one of those days where I felt towards the end of the day, wow parenting is it's exhausting <laughs> because majority of my days like you said before like you just love hanging out with your little one but today it was really hot so we're stuck inside but um can I share my story with you yeah tell me your story I've been waiting to hear this story it was Saturday morning yeah we had our usual 4am wake up Mateo <laughs> loves a 4am and then I thought oh, I'll change your nappy his bum was a little bit red so I thought nappy free time perfect and I put a little sheet under him oh god it was wholesome <laughs> it was beautiful he's chatting he's nude he loves being nude so he's rolling around then he does a little wee and I thought that's fine. So I, I pick him up and I take him to his wardrobe to pick a fresh outfit. Yeah. Still no nappy, but you know, all good. And then while I'm holding him, he starts going, <laughs> starts squeezing out a poo. And I was like, oh, no, 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 no. <laughs> Not today, Mateo, not today. And because in his wardrobe, it's got the mirrored cupboard. So I am holding him like this and I sort of move his bum and I see it's happening. It's gone down. And I don't know why I didn't think of this. But you know how there's the spare toilet right next to his? Yeah. No, a lot of you doesn't think of this because I'm having a bloody panic attack. So I run to my bathroom, which is you've got to go through the sitting room, through the kitchen, and then you're in our bedroom. And as I'm running, a little nugget comes out. And because this poor thing was a bit constipated, it was hard, and I'm running and I kick it. And I scream. I screamed because I just kicked my son's poo. And then as I'm running, I was like, whatever, I'll deal with that soon. And as I'm running, he then starts wig and I slipped in his wig. I'm like, how does he have this much wig? And how is it coming out so rapidly? I was so confused, but I had to get him on this toilet. So I finally get him on the toilet. He's sitting on the toilet. Poor little man's holding me. He doesn't really like a much softer poo. So I'm like, really grateful that didn't happen. Mid run. I'm glad it was the harder one. And then he does his poo, all's fine. I give him a little shower, I dress him, can't pick up his nugget. <laughs> and then I think the real tipping point for me in this story is when Alan was asleep in the front room. You know, when he wakes up, I shared the story with him and he's got this smirk on his face. And I was like, what are you smiling at? He's like, I heard you scream. And I thought, she's got this. <laughs> heard this whole ordeal me screaming running all the things and he's lying in bed comfortable cool oh. calm collected because he had a similar story where Matteo did a poo in the bath and Alan described that he was like scooping poo out <laughs> putting it in the toilet 
and then had to empty the bath and give him a new bath. So Alan probably thought, this is your turn. You've got this. I had to do it. Oh, wow. Oh, my God. So that happened. And this was all before, like, 6 a.m. I just, oh, my God. You, you know what? Like, it, it's funny how funny the poo stories are. This one is definitely going to be a funny one for a very, very long time. I kicked my son's poo. Like... <laughs> I mean, that's really unhealthy that it was that hard and whatever else, but we're looking into it. We're sorting him out. Don't worry, guys. Um, I was I was actually waiting in the story where you said, and Charlie got to that nugget. And I was like... Don't. That's literally when I told my mom. She interrupted me and went, where was Charlie? And I'm like, oh, that would have been fucking horrific. That would have been... I would have been horrified because... We've had a situation before where Charlie's broken into, like, the nappy bag. Oh, yes. Anyway, yeah. that's another time. Oh, my goodness. I don't think that story is going to be staying between us for a while. <laughs> I think a lot of people are going to be hearing about the story, especially through the podcast, but I will be sharing the story with Kyle. Share it. Share it around. <laughs> Make people aware. I said, I'm all for nappy free time, but next time it's either going to be outside or you're going, I'm going to have a nappy right next to me. Because I just thought, oh, it wasn't even that I didn't have a nappy close. I just trusted my son's bowels. Well, should we get into the episode? Yes, let's get in. The Elephant in the Room podcast acknowledges the traditional custodians of the land on which we work and live. Any advice given in this podcast is not medical advice and please consult a doctor for your needs. Just a trigger warning to our listeners, some of the topics discussed in this episode are around miscarriage and it may be triggering to some of our listeners. Let's start at the beginning. Yeah, sure. I'd love to. For those listeners who don't know, I am a type 2 diabetic. Mm. I was diagnosed when I was 27 years old. I had a personal circumstance happen Mm. health-wise, which I don't want to delve into right now. And that sort of almost gave way to the diabetes. So sort of almost activated the gene that was already present. And I ended up uh, becoming positive for type 2 diabetes. Well, when you're 27 years old, you know you're still so young you're exploring um and suddenly you're told that oh you cannot eat this you cannot eat that you have to do this you have to do that it's so constructive like it's it just can you feel contained you feel like Mm. you're being contained well no one likes to be told what to do or have rules absolutely and that's exactly what happened to you exactly that's it and you know when you're that young it's really easy to instill fear as well in you because you start thinking oh my god i'm 27 years old i still have so many years ahead of me Mm. how am i going to live my life like this but another thing that comes with diabetes is things like fertility pregnancy Mm. you know your quality of life and so at 27 you know I didn't know I wasn't planning on starting a family cut to us getting married in 2019 Mm. and then we wanted to go traveling before we started a family but thank you COVID that didn't happen well what happened was I ended up having a miscarriage so when I spoke to the doctors and we talked about what was going on it was my sugars were really high and you know my diabetic health overall health in the sense my weight and things like that weren't that great 
So you're at a higher risk of a miscarriage because of the diabetes. In the sense, yes. So that that was kind of that was kind of the not the direct conversation that I had, but kind of a subliminal message over there that you've got diabetes, you're overweight, your body is choosing what it's going to balance and manage. So I started to uh, work on myself, you know, mm. started to exercise more, eat healthy. My doctor and I had a chat and we started a plan. Mm. Now for somebody who's a diabetic, the plan to get pregnant starts three months before you actually start trying to get pregnant mm. because you have to make sure that your sugars are under a certain percentage. You have to make sure your weight is under a certain number. You have to be in a certain BMI. Wow. Um, and also medication. There's a lot of medication that you have to start taking. So how much medication would you say you were taking each day? I counted it and I was taking 10 pills a day. Oh my goodness. 10 pills a day um, three months before I got pregnant, during my pregnancy, mm. I was also taking insulin. So when I actually got pregnant, I was a high-risk pregnancy. Yeah. Another thing that uh, my endocrinologist told me was people who are diabetic, the, the studies have shown that children who are born from mums who don't have their diabetes under control or their diabetes is extremely high, the sugars are extremely high, may sometimes have congenital diseases. Okay. And um, I didn't want that, you know. Yeah. Um, and it's, it would be even worse knowing that I was the reason mm. that my child that is, had that. That's real. That's so um, raw, you sharing that. That's how you felt and that's what you were going through. And then... In conjunction with all of the normal midwife appointments, etc., at the hospital, did you have extra appointments with your doctor to go over your diabetes, or did they talk about it in your normal checkups? Oh, I had so many appointments. So I had I had my obstetrician, mm. and I used to see him every three or four weeks. Towards the end of my pregnancy, I was seeing him every two weeks. That's mm. how much we had to keep a tab on the baby and the size of the baby. But I was seeing my obstetrician. In, in addition to that, I was seeing an endocrinologist regularly as well because they want to make sure that my sugars and everything are under control. Mm. I had to maintain a diary. So to, I, I'll get into a little bit more about insulin and things like that, but I had to see an in, endocrinologist. In addition to that, I was seeing an exercise physiologist. Um, and then I was going to all these classes, um, which are basically diabetic education classes. Mm. You know, there was, there, there was a lot of hurt because I felt that, I constantly felt, why me? Why do I have to go through all this? But at the same time, there was a lot of motivation because I wanted to, at the end of the day, see a healthy baby. And I knew that I was doing all this so mm. that I could have a healthy baby so that my baby wouldn't come back to me and say, well, because of you, I ended up getting you know, all these issues. Yeah. So there was a real feeling underneath that I had the guilt of mm. God forbid, because of my health reasons, oh, <laughs> I give some, something to my baby yeah. who does, you know, and these are real, these feelings that are, they are just so complex. Yeah. And sometimes it's also embarrassing. You feel ashamed mm. to feel these things. However, I've, 
I was actually really grateful to, to have a fantastic GP who actually sat down with me and said that it's fine and you're going to have even worse feelings as a mom sometimes and yeah. you just deal with it one day at a time and you just make sure that you're looking at the end goal and your end goal is a nice healthy happy baby yeah i can imagine you would have been all over it because you're such an over communicator <laughs> i can just picture you and your doctor's appointments with like 101 things on your list like, oh yes i'm not done yet but what about this and what about that <laughs> i do like my list of questions and i did have so many questions every time i went to see my ob i would have so many questions to ask give me him. a number how many there was one time i had 15 <laughs> I love how you know straight away. 15. It, I, I literally have my keep notes open and I'd be like, I would, uh, he understood me so well. At one point I would ask him questions and then he would give me a good open wide answer. And I would answer some of my questions on the list and I'd like take it all off. <laughs> You're like, one second, please. Yep. That's answered. That's answered. Okay. Now down to question 10. <laughs> yeah. So that was, that was my initial wow start of it and then obviously because I had a miscarriage before the first 12 weeks were so difficult because <sighs> I was making sure that those sugars were not moving anywhere I'd make sure that I would not eat anything with carbs or too much of carbs mm. because I wanted to make sure my sugars wouldn't go too high that would have been almost like playing with your mind because I also had a miscarriage before Mateo and but I was never told that I could have done something like what you you're sharing like that subliminal message you sort of got from your doctor that you had to have x y and z in order to avoid this you know when you have a miscarriage and it, you don't have any other underlying conditions it's just there's no real reason so I can't imagine what that would feel like knowing that you've got like this responsibility another an extra responsibility on top of you know yes all the other things and then also it was a question of am I going to be able to fall pregnant you mm. know so when every time I, so when I felt pregnant for me it was like I have to hold on to this because oh, it could be so hard heart. did you ever get one of those um dopplers yes yes i did but i had an anterior placenta so i couldn't even hear the heartbeat so the first 12 weeks i got the doppler because you know i was so scared of having miscarriage again and then i would just try to hear the heartbeat but i couldn't because of my anterior placenta so for me i would wait for weeks for my next appointment because all i wanted to do was just hear the heartbeat and all I wanted to do was eat well, make sure I'm exercising, make sure I'm doing everything right, keep my sugars under control. And every time I'd see the right reading, yeah. I'd be very happy. Every time mm. I'd see reading go slightly up, I would get really nervous. Yeah. But it was not, my miscarriage and diabetes were not directly related, mm. you know. There was obviously a lot of, there are, multiple women miscarry mm. and you know it's not the there's no reason really it's just very normal one in four women miscarry and it's i feel like not talked about like for me whenever i open up about my miscarriage i'm i don't think i've 
yet told someone that either hasn't had one or that doesn't know someone that has had one or multiple and miscarriage before pregnancy just oh my gosh it's rough it is really rough and here's the interesting thing i spoke to at least five other women who've miscarried and it is so common and i am really grateful to some of those women who didn't give it too much power yeah. you know they said it's fine you did nothing wrong there it happens to everyone but for me it kept on playing in my head no it's because of my diabetes so i had to get in mm. get a plan to make sure that you know i was not going to put any even a foot out of line essentially mm. but you know i know this conversation is about like the whole pregnancy and diabetes throughout it so maybe miscarriage is something we can talk about absolutely dedicate an episode to because i feel like there's so many layers there to talk about yes. to go through and unpack and so many complex feelings i think that we would i would love to unpack those complex feelings as well mm. because some mums they need it they need that cathartic expression of releasing something that's in, sitting in the back of their mind mm. but yeah with my with my diabetes started a plan 3 months in advance and then Kyle and I were quite lucky we ended up getting pregnant literally the second month i realized that this was only the beginning of a very difficult pregnancy because i had to not only have those 10 pills that i told you about mm. but i had to take insulin and the insulin how it works is you have two different kinds of insulin one is a rapid acting insulin which you take just before your meal and the other one is a long acting insulin which you take before you go to sleep okay for diabetic or gestational diabetes as well that morning reading the first reading in the morning is very important mm. now if that's really high that is an indication that your sugar is not being maintained really well so i used to have really high readings for morning so i was put on insulin um throughout the night and then i was put on insulin during the day so that i could still eat food without the worry of not being able to maintain my sugar and i had to take insulin every time i had to have a meal So that was 3 meals a day and then sometimes if I was going to have a big snack I would take insulin before that and I had to take insulin before I went to sleep. So it was all, at least 4 needles a day as well. Yeah. So for me you know having pills taking insulin pregnancy didn't feel like pregnancy anymore it mm. felt like a chore yeah. you know and that sort of kind of became an issue for me in the sense that I couldn't really connect very well with my baby because suddenly it wasn't me being pregnant with a baby inside me it was me being pregnant trying to keep a baby alive because of my pregnancy mm. and that played its part as well wow and then the more i was the more bigger i got the more like you know longer in my pregnancy we were um the more insulin i started to need Oh my gosh. And at this point, you know, you you start with something like say 2 units of insulin, which is literally nothing. And then towards the end of my pregnancy I was taking close to 25 Holy to crap. 30 units of insulin. So it was just so much insulin I had mm. to keep on feeding myself to just Does make, it make sure. Do you feel anything different? 
so it's really interesting that you asked me about you know how I feel with insulin because sometimes when I would take insulin and mistakenly take more than what I needed I would have this hypoglycemic episode and hypoglycemia is essentially low blood sugar so it means that as a diabetic you cannot your blood sugar is constantly high and suddenly (laughs) you've taken so much insulin that your blood sugar is absolutely low and the very first time I didn't know what I was what was happening to me and Where were uh, you? I was at home with Kyle. Oh, thank God. And I was lying down and I told Kyle, oh, I feel really dizzy. Next minute, I'm sweating. Air conditioning, full on everything. And I was sweating. There were like drops, all like droplets of sweat all over my forehead and dripping down my face. Then I, I couldn't stand on my own. I was just really foggy. My head felt heavy. Like and you're about to pass out. Essentially. Mm. And Kyle he realized what was happening because he in his youth had an experience with somebody who had hypoglycemic attacks so he ran to the kitchen filled a glass of coke and just i told me skull this right now i had to skull that coke and the sugar from the coke balanced my sugar and the episode that i was having it all went away. Suddenly, I started feeling normal. My sugar went back Whoa. up. And I started feeling better. But I kept on having those episodes multiple times. Because now, because I was getting more pre- like I was getting more pregnant. I don't know how, do you, how you get more pregnant. I was yeah. getting, you know, my term of pregnancy was getting yeah. closer. Suddenly, um my hormones were all over the place yeah my body didn't know how much sugar how much insulin it needed to make so some sometimes it would make a lot of insulin sometimes it would make very little and i didn't know how to take insulin to maintain that and i kept on having these hypoglycemic attacks Mm. and it was scary so now i was walking around with those glucogel yeah uh, beads uh, beans and things like that and candies and chocolates all the time because I never knew when I was going to have an attack and I was going to need it. Oh my gosh. So throughout my pregnancy, I carried this backpack and the backpack literally had all my insulin, all my needles, every single medication that I take, lots of candies, lollies, chocolates, a book with some information in it so that if... God forbid I do pass out, somebody can actually read that book and they can, you know, immediately contact the right people. Yeah. The pregnancy was not fun anymore. Mm-hmm. I didn't feel like, oh, look at me, you know, I'm glowing or, you know, I'm pregnant and people are, you know, um, you know, when you're pregnant and you feel all these special connections, it was, it was just, mm. it was not that fun for me. And it was only getting difficult by the day. Yeah. And then the other thing that also impacted lots of mood swings and mm. hormonal issues was when you're pregnant, you crave things, right? Like yeah. there's this genuine craving. Like some days you want like a big bowl of chips. Yeah. And then another day, you, all you want to do is just drink soup. Like, I don't know. Yeah. Or, or eat ice cream. Now, I would have cravings. I would want to eat chips, but I can't eat chips because it's bad for my sugar. Mm. So I could eat one or two chips. And that would be frustrating. Oh, or don't give me just one chip. <laughs> I would want to eat a big bowl of ice cream, 
and I can't eat ice cream because it's got sugar. It's yeah. not good for the baby. Or I just want to eat a bar of chocolate. Yeah. And I can't eat that. You're making me hungry. <laughs> I just want all the sweets. <laughs> I just wanted food. Yeah. And I was not allowed to eat the kind of food I wanted. And every day it was a process of trying to find foods that I enjoyed which were diabetic friendly. Mm. I think towards the end, I spoke to my endocrinologist and I told her, this is it. I'm, I'm over this. I cannot do this anymore. I yeah. just, I can't eat my food. And then she basically said I could have a couple cheat days a week where I could take some insulin and eat whatever I wanted. But that was towards the last, um, last four weeks of my pregnancy because yeah. at that point, now your baby's sort of growing. It has kind of fully developed and it's just growing now. So it was... A little bit uh, less risky you can say yeah um, than doing it at the beginning when your baby's still forming it was an interesting pregnancy to yeah. say the least and then fast forward to waters breaking like how oh, did that all go down that's a story <laughs> so um, it was really interesting I'll, I'll tell you the story really quickly so my husband works night shift and yeah. so he comes home at around 5, 4.30, 5 o'clock in the morning. You know, I was two weeks into my maternity leave. I had six weeks of maternity, six weeks until my due date. And I was like, yes, awesome. <laughs> um, you know, I and I was just really having a great time. I'm like, this is great. I don't have to work. And I was starting to like enjoy the kicks. The kicks were getting stronger. Yeah. So I was starting to enjoy, I was starting to feel like this is awesome. Can't wait to meet my little girl. So one morning, you know, was just watching Netflix, just chilling on my bed as you do when you're, yeah. you know, almost um, towards the end of your pregnancy. Um, and it, I still remember my hubby came home at around five o'clock came home gave me a kiss you know and he was like why are you awake I'm like oh the baby's not letting me sleep whatever yeah and he's like oh okay fine and then he you know wind down comes to bed puts his head on the pillow 5 30 I saw the time five minutes later I felt this big gush go all the way up and then back down and a big kick my waters broke oh. and I ran to the bathroom immediately and now you're like imagine like I was just like trying to, try to like get out of the bed and run to the bathroom because I didn't and I I genuinely was like what is happening my water's broke 5 30 on a Wednesday morning my husband had just come back from work so he was he had not had any sleep and um I I was prepared like look I have my hospital bags and everything sorted but you know have you have this final list of like charges and toothbrush yeah. and things like that I'm just standing there. My contractions had started. I was like, I was in labor. Like started. My contractions oh my had started. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I'm telling my husband, here's the list. Run around. He's running around the house, packing the last final bits. By the time we left, it was like six o'clock in the morning. Peak our traffic. Oh my god. And my hospital, which was a, like a private hospital. Yeah. It was about forty-five minutes without traffic. So. Oh, here I thought I am. you went just down the road. Okay, yeah, mm. true. So here I am, like, you know, in midst of contractions, and like, it's painful. It hurts, right? And my husband's like, stopping at every light. I'm just like, I don't care. Just if you see no cars, you just go. Oh I don't my care. gosh. <laughs> Out. I wouldn't even know what a contraction felt like. It, I'm so interested. Oh, it. It is the. Think of, you know, period cramps, yes. right? Think of your worst period cramp 
and multiply it by a hundred. No, thank you. <laughs> so one, it's interesting. One of the nurses told me that uh, women who go through contractions and labor, apparently it's equivalent to breaking 27 bones in your body. 27 bones. I haven't even broken one. I cry when I have a paper cut. <laughs> and I'm like in this, so peak hour traffic and my husband's trying to like swivel his way I around. I picture the situation <laughs> because you are so good when like it's not about you but when it's about you you're just like nah I need this situation <laughs> situated and sorted. <laughs> Luckily Gosh. we got to the hospital yeah. in 45 minutes in peak hour traffic and then I was in the hospital and the first thing I tell the nurse epidural I need epidural. <laughs> You're like, I've heard about this. I need it now. I need it now. <laughs> and my luck, my OB was on annual leave that day. Mm. Um, so his entire team was not available. Stop it. So everyone who was with me that day was somebody I had never met before. And this is what you hear, right? There's always a plan and the plan never goes. And yeah, wow. I went through private, right? Mm. So it was interesting. But the anesthetist was really busy with some other women who were also going through labor and everything. And you're like, no, 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 me first, please. <laughs> two hours. I was in active labor, contractions and everything for two hours. But I was, and the reason I'm saying I was in active labor is because when I got to the hospital, I was already six centimeters <gasps> dilated. When I waited for the anesthetist to come and give me the injection for the epidural, after he gave me the epidural, half an hour after that, I was 10 centimeters dilated, ready to go. So my waters broke at half past five and my baby girl, Eliza, was born at 1.04 p.m. So half past she five in the morning. She was ready to rock and roll. Oh, yes, she, she sure was. She was like, I'm not having any of this. I'm ready to go. And that's what she's like now, isn't it? Yes. That was... Um, a very quick everyone and everyone told me oh my god for a first pregnancy you had a really quick labor yeah so i think yes the two hours were absolutely excruciating and you know my husband luckily didn't break any bones in his hands because <laughs> i was pressing his hands so hard um Aww. but yeah i mean it was all worth it but she had to be pulled out uh using a vacuum Aww. because she doesn't follow rules you know she Absol doesn't want she's like her mother <laughs> So she wasn't looking down because to, you know, have the baby out, the baby needs to be looking downwards, but she was looking sideways. And they first used a smaller vacuum to make her look down. She moved her head. And then the moment they took the vacuum off, she moved it back on the side. It was almost instantaneously. And um, she was so cheeky. Oh, oh my God. So they had to use a bigger vacuum and then pull her out. <laughs> Especially knowing her now. It's just so funny hearing this story because I haven't... I've heard again this in bits. So to know what she's like now and her cheeky personality and then hear this story when she was... Yeah. Oh, yes. It's hilarious. She was... So she, when she was out, um, she ended up having a subgalileal hematoma, which is basically blood collected at the back of her skull because they use a vacuum so there's blood collected right and she had a me medium grade so there's m mild moderate or medium and then there's highs so she, her head was very boggy so she would scream in pain because it was Aww. painful you know she had a very big headache and she was so tiny look she was slightly premature as well because she came 
five days early yeah. than what's considered a full-term baby. Mm. So with her hematoma and her coming out a little bit early, so she had to be put in NICU. Now, I was lucky enough that I was able to get back on my feet within like 12 hours, but I was on a uh, wheelchair within six hours and I was able to go and visit her and everything like that. And I know a lot of moms, especially moms who've had cesarean, would be so hard for them because they can physically not, you know, move at least for the first 24 hours. And I get that. So that's why I consider myself to be really lucky. Mm. And I just remember telling my husband, no, don't worry about me. You go down and have a look at her. I don't, I'll be fine because there are nurses and midwives here to look after me. You need to go down and make sure she's okay. She's so tiny, you know, she's so little. She's a little baby. Oh, yeah. my goodness, my heart. And um, so with her NICU, she was in NICU for close to a week. But the hematoma played a big part and the diabetes that I had played a big part as well. Mm. So what happened was immediately, first of all, she didn't know how to suck, swallow, breathe. So she didn't know how to actually feed. So she had to have a nasal tube. Then the other thing that happened was, you know, the low blood sugar episodes that I was having? Mm. She had them. Oh. And... So she had all those symptoms that you were talking about. But that's a baby who can't say anything. So because she was unable to control her blood sugar, Mm -hmm. she had to be put on a glucose drip. So she had a cannula and everything, and she was given glucose for three days. Yeah. Um, And then on top of that, her head was so boggy. So I couldn't even hold her properly because I could only hold her on my chest because if I touched her head... She would scream in pain. She would, like, and for a newborn baby to scream in pain is very unusual. So, like, just seeing her like that would break my heart. And there was obviously that disconnect that I had with her. But um, I just couldn't connect with her because I couldn't Mm -hmm. hold her. I couldn't feed her. I couldn't do anything. And she was in NICU. And my NICU experience was a lot better. Mm. And it was a lot, it was positive compared to I know what you've Mm. gone through. So I completely empathize and I I feel for what you went through. Mm. But my experience was great because, you know, the nurses were fantastic. I was just able to connect with her with whatever little bit of connections we could make. Yeah. Um, But the hematoma then brought in jaundice. Yeah. And so for those listeners who can't always see us, She's half Indian and half Caucasian. Mm -hmm. So initially, the doctors and the nurses thought that it was just her, she was just a tan baby, you know, when she was born. But it was actually the jaundice, which was really yellow. Her skin had yellowed. And she wasn't opening her eyes because she was so jaundiced. She'd constantly sleep, right? So she wouldn't open her eyes. So you couldn't see the yellow in her eyes or anything. And so... Um, her pediatrician was really good because he was on top of things very quickly and they tested her um, bilirubin levels which is what you test when a baby has jaundice and they were so high even the doctors were shocked so she was in the incubator now with a blue light and the more blue light they get the better it is Mm. so here I am unable to connect with my baby I still I and now I had to 
I was scared to hold her because mm-hmm. I was just like, if I take her out of the blue light, that's that much time of less blue light she'll have. And I need her to have the blue light so I can take her with me even to the room. And um, the jaundice journey was awful because she just kept on, the jaundice just kept on creeping, the bilirubin levels just kept on creeping up again. How long was she under the blue light for? For Initially for three days, she was under the blue light. And then we took her out, her levels had gone down. Uh, but she wouldn't feed. She wouldn't open her eyes. She was still on nasal tube. We were still trying to give her a bottle. She wouldn't just take it. And she'd constantly be sleeping. And then my milk came in and I was expressing for her. And again, it was just a disconnect because, you know, when you're a mom, you hold your baby and you feed your baby. You're feeding, you're connecting, you know, mm. there's a physical connection. Whereas I had never had that physical connection with my baby. And now I'm just expressing to feed you my baby. You were such a trooper with expressing. I still can't believe how long you expressed for. Yeah, so um, she never actually, she drank, uh, she did breastfeed maybe 10 times in ever yeah um because she never she she just had a bottle preference from the very beginning but I I was really adamant I wanted to give her breast milk um you know that was my personal choice you know I had read about it and this is and that's what I wanted to do Mm -hmm. and I was really adamant and so yeah for seven months I expressed six times a day just to make milk for her but yeah it was really hard um eventually she got out of the blue light and for a couple of days, she was in a billy blanket. So we had to basically hold her through a blanket. Um, it was um, definitely very interesting, the whole process, the whole journey. Um, I am going to say that it took me a good 10 weeks to connect with her. But the hematoma... How long did that take to clear up? It took close to... 10 to 10 to 12 weeks for the hematoma to fully clear up Whoa. Um, because it was a jaundice as well because the jaundice kept creeping up we spent the we spent Christmas day and Christmas Eve in the hospital because her jaundice creeped back up she would be sleeping and we would watch we would watch the time yeah every three hours we would feed her every four hours we'd feed her we, we yeah. had to keep a track on time and how much milk we're giving to her yeah. because I was not breastfeeding her and I was expressing we could make we could calculate how much milk we're giving to her so we'd slightly rub her back you know she wouldn't wake up we'd undress her she wouldn't wake up we'd change her nappy she wouldn't wake up that is insane it was scary because sometimes I would feel why is my baby not waking up you know she just wouldn't she wouldn't even wake up enough to take the bottle to her mouth and dream feed she was just so did she give you any signs that she was awake like anything at all oh yes so when we would wake up and um she would stir a little bit but then she wouldn't open her eyes or open her mouth or she wouldn't become active she'd just stir um and we went through this until i'm gonna say until week 12 Mm. after week 12 we got a little bit better week 12 of her being out Mm. yes week 12 of her being out that is a long time for 12 weeks my husband and i were just trying to get her to feed she wouldn't want to feed at all even after her jaundice levels were back to normal after the 10 week mark she did not want to feed Mm. you know i was pumping all this milk for her and she didn't even want to drink it that i felt like 
why am I doing this? You know, mm. it it was such a it was so confusing for me at the time because I wanted to give her breast milk, yeah. but at the same time I felt so frustrated and angry that she didn't want to drink. Now, the way diabetes connected back to this is actually I couldn't take the medication for my diabetes during my pre- uh, during my breastfeeding. So when yeah. I'm breastfeeding her, she would otherwise get that through the milk, and that's yeah. not good for her. So. I couldn't take medication for Did you diabetes. Feel like a, you felt like a free woman. I felt like a free mo- woman, but at the same time, I had to make sure that I was looking after what I ate. Carbs are a big no-no for diabetics. So here I was, eating carbs, producing <laughs> milk. My baby didn't want to drink my milk. I just, I just felt like I could not catch a break. Yeah. And... Um, on my last day when I hung my pumps, I was just a new woman. It's such a free moment, isn't it? It is, absolutely. When you surrender to it. Because if you have a not the easiest breastfeeding experience, but you are committed because, you know, that's what we're told we have to do. And you finally just surrender to what is actually best for you and your baby and what works for you. Absolutely. Happy mom, happy baby is what I've been told. Absolutely. When she was seven months old, I stopped you know, expressing and transitioned her onto formula. It was such a change energetically as well. Mm. But she and I almost had this understanding with each other. She's realized that she's not going to be forced to try to breastfeed from me. And she was just a new baby. At that point, we realized, actually at four month mark, we also realized she had a uh, feeding aversion what do you mean a feeding aversion so you know because she had the nasal tube for close to two months yeah she developed this aversion with anything coming in near the vicinity of her face and she started associating feeding with something bad and my husband and i did a little bit of more research and we found ways to get rid of that feeding aversion and the first thing we had to make peace with was the fact that she's not going to feed for a week for a few days and that we're going to have to be okay with it and mm-hmm. that she's going to cry when she's hungry and she'll drink it as a survival instinct but that's about it mm. it took us one week to get rid of that feeding aversion and i would love to talk about this yeah. a little bit in more depth maybe in a future episode somewhere mm. but it took us one week to get rid of that feeding aversion that she had and after that, like I said, she was a new baby. Yeah. You know, yeah, we definitely now have a bond. So I guess that's another moral of the story. You know, you will eventually create a bond with your baby. Totally. Just because you don't have a bond when you're pregnant or when they're born Im- immediately, it doesn't mean that you can't have that bond. Yeah, 100%. I feel like it took me like nearly four months. It takes a, it can take as much time it, as it needs to. Yeah. Like coming back to the whole goal of having this podcast, right? Throughout this journey that I just explained to you, I was all alone. Mm. I did not have friends who could relate to me. It was a very lonely yeah. and difficult time because nobody really could hold my hand or relate to what I was going through. I hear you, Han, going through a pregnancy that's so um, not talked about as much as what it should be. And that is, like you said, the goal of this podcast is to, even if we can make one person not feel alone, that's a win because going through the pregnancies that you and I had. It was not a lot of fun. At a point when I had my first miscarriage, it felt, I felt guilty. Now I know that, you know, 
it's very normal for women to have miscarriage and things like that and maybe my diabetes was not the reason for it mm-hmm. or it was who knows but in that moment i was feeling guilty so i guess it would be interesting to know if there's anyone listening to this podcast right now that has got diabetes and going through a pregnancy at the moment or has been through a pregnancy or thinking about it yeah we would love to hear from you absolutely we would yes that's um pretty much it thank you so much for sharing that takes so much out of you energetically to go back to a place in time where i'm sure you've tried to you know it's in the past you've got such a beautiful present thank you for listening to me um, good luck editing all this out. Thanks, <laughs> <laughs> you went into a lot of detail. We did, no, we did was, go into a lot of detail. <laughs> it was perfect. I just want to say uh, to all the listeners out there, if you know anyone or if you are someone who'd like to share your story with us, we'd be really happy to hear from anyone. And thank you so much for your time. Follow us on Instagram and subscribe here for free to join us as we talk about The, the Elephant, Elephant in, in the Room. room.